Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or Sheikup. We are here with continuing our series of the conflicts in Thetis, and I hear we are getting ready for a two-part topic. Yeah, we are, kind of. It's not It's not really a full two-parter. Like, usually when we do two-part episodes, it's like, okay, we're, we're talking about the same topic. We are talking about Kunari conflicts in two parts, but first we're talking about their like reintroduction into Thetis and all of that. And then next time, actually not next week, we'll have a patron chat in between. Um, But the week after that, we'll be talking about the Kunari exalted marches. So it's kind of split up, but it's not exactly the same topic. Right. That makes sense. So we are going to be spending a couple of weeks on the Kunari which I'm excited about. We haven't really visited them since we did the episode on Parval in itself. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. I'm pretty excited. We're going to be talking about Kunari, and then we'll obviously have a Kunari character deep dive coming up. So we're really going to be talking about Kunari for like the whole month of April. Woohoo. I have no idea who this Kunari deep dive could be. I mean, what Kunari would we do a deep dive on? I mean, it's so thing. It's gonna it's that Sarah boss from DA2 that we lead out of the suit. Like that's the deep dive, right? Well, there are a couple that it could be to be actually fair. Yeah, okay, I guess that's true. I guess it could be Sten or Iron Bull. I'll let you decide who it will be first. Mm. I'll let the listeners make their guesses. Uh, bet on it if you want. I don't care. I could know. I have the ability to find out and know, but I don't check that very often. I like to be surprised when I walk up like, oh, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I do the same thing with our Assassin's Creed podcast. So like, I can't even criticize you at all. All right. So what? So where are we starting today? Okay. So Yes. For literal, for for reals, we are starting with the Kunari introduction into Thetis. And you may know this already. It was really one of conquering and conquest. So understandably, the Kunari gained some enemies. And so because of that, all of it, that there's just a lot of content. We can't cover it in one episode. So this will be two episodes of this. Um, so today, we're going to basically cover all of the Kunari Wars up until 
the exalted marches and then we'll stop and then the next time we'll do all of the kunari exalted marches and so actually to give you some background these exalted marches against the kunari are called the new exalted marches and it's because there's a, a pretty big time break between the last exalted march and the ones against the kunari and because i don't think there's been one there's been contemplated ones but there hasn't been any there hasn't been an official exalted march since the ones against the kunari yeah and we can talk about like the exalted marches another time like in like what is actually constitutes an exalted march kind of like you know like vietnam and korea weren't technically official wars declared by congress in the united states but like functionally they were you know yeah. just like other things like that mm-hmm. but this is not an exalted march episode so let's get into these canary canary invasions conquest wars whatever you want to call them yeah i'm calling it the canary wars um that's kind of what it's called too that's kind of what it's called in the lore but yeah first let's get into the trivia so this first fun fact i have is fascinating and this is probably the best trivia fact i've found in the history of us doing this podcast so according to the description of a bow that you can find in inquisition which is the bow of the barisad canary don't really use bows there aren't that many kunari archers they typically use spears and or cannons as ranged weapons but there has been one famous kunari archer in history this archer fought in the new exalted marches the residents of thetis referred to her as the hawk Okay, now I want to play DAI with a Kunari archer just to be like, Haha, I'm Kyle Vashoth and I'm an archer. Suck it. True, but also the nickname for her is very mm-hmm. interesting, don't you think? It is. Especially if you have a hawk in DA2 who is more friendly with the Arashog. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. So anyway, let's move on with some of our other trivia. And the next one is that during war, the Kunari don't really take prisoners of war. Um, they also don't kill their prisoners, just assassinating or killing them. Instead, they forcibly convert them to the Kun and assimilate them into their societies, at least the ones who aren't resistant, the ones who are resistant. We don't really know if they get killed or just kind of obliterated their mind for sure. But there have been instances in the lore where the resistant ones are just straight out killed. And there have been instances in the lore where the ones who are resistant to the forcible conversion, they have basically their minds obliterated with something called Kamek, which is like a chemical thing. It's in some of the comics and to Venter Nights. And so basically they, they become like tranquil. Hmm. It sounds like with the chemic chemical, they become worse than tranquil, almost like a true, like even more severe lobotomy than becoming tranquil. Yeah. And and I think it's worse than becoming tranquil because the tranquil, like at least are given a nice place to live and they get to stay in the circles and they have all their meals made for them. And like, they just basically study and do minor labor and make runes and stuff. But for the Kunari, these people have to do like slave labor, like they're Mm -hmm. working all day. So that that's way worse to me. Right. 
Um, and then the last fun fact that I have is that when the Cunari first came to Thetis, they came as a conquering force, of course. The residents of Thetis referred to them as the Giants, which I find this fascinating because there are already Giants in Thetis as a species. Right. It is interesting, but it's just like, I don't know, like... Maybe those Thedosians hadn't encountered actual giants because we really, well, no, I guess we do. We see them across all of Thetis. Yeah. We don't really see them in Ferelden, but we do see them all over the Dales. We see them all over the Dales. We see them in the uh, Western Approach. Right. Have we ever seen them? Well, no, we've seen them in the Storm Coast. Oh, yeah, you're right. So that is for Elden. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get more clarity on that in the next game. Probably not, but whatever. Yeah. So let's get into the lore. Those are my fun facts. Um, the first Kunari War is the war between the Kunari and Thetis that predates the new Exalted Marches. So the new exalted marches are called by the Chantry in response to the Cunari invasion. So that's kind of the difference here. And um, there will be multiple wars with the Chantry like or with, with the Cunari. Like it's not really just the first. Um, and, and frankly, I think the naming of this is the first Cunari war is kind of misleading anyway because it's much less of a war and more of just a straight bloodbath um and that's because i mean the people of thetis are completely and utterly unprepared for the entrance of the cunari they the cunari face almost little to no resistance from the people of thetis and that's because they were taken by complete and utter surprise and so the Kunari warriors arrived in Thetis. And this is a quote from the, the Codex Parvala in the Occupied North. And so it says that the Kunari warriors arrived in Thetis with, quote, glittering steel armor that carved through armies with ease. Their cannons, the likes of which our ancestors had never seen, reduced city walls to rubble in a matter of seconds. Um, I think it's really interesting kind of the role they're playing in this, because like a lot of times when we interact with the Kinari, maybe this is just a history thing, but they're kind of like established as like, a subclass group like most of Thetis like look down on the Cunari and like talk to them in the same way they talk about dwarfs or elves as like this other species from humans but it's really interesting to me because the way that their arrival parallels with the Spanish conquistadors in uh the North America Central American history like the glittering armor the cannons and like the technological advancement that they had over the people of Thetis. It's so interesting to me that parallel, but the end result of their invasion is not the same as the Spanish conquistadors. 
Right. But it's so interesting to me that you bring up the fact that Thetis typically tends to look down on the Cunari. And we'll get into kind of the end result of these wars later and, and next week. But it's interesting that they do look down on the Cunari when really the Cunari are the ones like they came in and conquered everything. And they really only left because y'all signed a treaty, not because they actually lost. So if if anybody should be looking down on anybody, it should be the Cunari looking down on Thetis, which to be fair, they do, but not, I don't think in the same way that Thetis looks down on the Cunari. Well, I, I just thought it was interesting, the kind of like parallel of, that to like the way that European coloners colonizers were in the Americas. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very apt description too. But let's go back a few thousand years. Um, I just wanted to set up that context because I think it's important to understand how they how they came before we understand anything else. So when and how and why did the Cunari first come to Thetis? Well, we don't know everything, but we do know that in minus 410 ancient, a group of Kossith landed in Thetis. And the Kossith are the precursor race to the Cunari. Um, they don't really exist anymore, but they established a colony in the Korkari wilds. Unfortunately, this colony was wiped out during the first blight. So you can argue that that's kind of the first moment that the Cunari or anything like them come to Thetis. But I really think that it's the true moment is over a thousand years later when a group of Cunari lands on the island of Parvalin. And this happens in 630 storm. So they came from a land across the Boric Ocean, which is to the east. This was the land of the Kossith as well. They were once separate groups, but over time they kind of merged into one people group. We don't really know all the details. We don't really know how. We don't really even know why they came or anything like that. We just know very basic facts. Um, and that's partially because the Cunari actively suppress any and all knowledge of where they came from and why they left. So they want to keep it mysterious as much as anybody else. But in general, the Cunari leadership, they don't really recognize the existence of the Kossith, and they definitely don't use that word either, much less the idea that they descended from them. So the rank and file everyday Cunari person, they don't know anything about what the Kossith is or what it means, or even if they've even heard that word would be a surprise. So all of that is is kind of background information. But regardless, by 630 Storm, which is just 300 years before the Dragon Age, the events of Dragon Age Origins, they have arrived in and conquered Parvalin. And they've basically claimed it as their own by this time, too. So the news of their conquering of the island does not reach the mainland for a good amount of time. And specifically, news of this doesn't reach the mainland until they begin amassing a huge naval force and sailing closer to the mainland. It's very interesting that, like, the way the game set it up is, like, communication in Thetis is almost, like, not instantaneous, but pretty quick. Like, we learn of things pretty quickly with the movements of, like, like you know, we Loghain betrays all of the Wardens at Ostagar, and by the time we get to Lothering, like, the whole country knows that 
Halen died at Ostagar and the wardens failed there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to me, like that this that this grand force could go to this island in the north and neither to Venter or any of the free marches know anything about it until years later. And I I agree with that. I just think that that's kind of the nature of how secluded Parvalin is. And you have to remember, like, it's a jungle out there. So it's not like Taventer wants to go to Parvalin and, like, sacrifice healthy soldiers to just do a patrol of the jungle. Damn it. I guess that makes sense. I mean, we're not going to, like, send deep patrols into the Amazon to figure out what's going on in there. Before we get into kind of the main timeline of Cunari activities in Thetis, I think now would be a good time for a break. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Ah, Hawk stepped in the poopy. I love you. Want a sandwich? All this for me. And I didn't get Alexius anything. Send him a fruit basket. Everyone loves those. So welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast, but not about the lore of Dragon Age. And it's here where we thank our patrons. Uh, a thank you to our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. A special thank you to our patron, our Divine Tier patron, Kit. And a special, special thank you to the one and only Nug King, Lewis H. Thank you for your support. Thank you to all of our patrons who support our podcast, both, both great and small. And so, but if you cannot support us financially, we get that. We know that not everyone is able to do that. Another great way to support us is to leave us reviews on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us a worded review with five stars on Apple, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. You can also comment on individual episodes on Spotify. And so if you leave us some kind words there, we will also read them out on a future episode. And so I believe Shelby has brought a couple comments to read for us. Yes, I did. So the first one is from the Wesbotron, who says, great episode, guys. Keep up the good work. And the next one is from Kolka Shins, who says, amazing. 10 out of 10. No notes. Would recommend to everyone. Thank you all so much for those awesome Spotify reviews and comments. And so the last thing I want to tell you is to join the Discord in the episode description. And before I stick my foot further in my mouth, we will go to the rest of the show. Thank you for the mid-break. <laughs> Up there, giant icicle tits. Ice... Tittles. You're looking for titsicles. Oh, that's good. Yes, and it's... a real nice night for an evening. Um... <laughs> oh, you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping all right so now that we're back from that whatever that was um we can get back into it so i i I made a mini timeline of cunari activities in thetis because this isn't everything but this captures the majority of the things that are important to our topic today so first and foremost in 632 Steel, which, if you remember, is about two years after they've conquered Parvalin, the Kunari sail to Saharan and Northern Ravane. They land in huge numbers and they begin to conquer parts of Saharan and Ravane. So, this is kind of 
retroactively postdated as the official beginning of the Kunari Wars. They last for the rest of the Steel Age and most of the Storm Age. So these wars, including the New Exalted Marches, last for almost 200 years. And now it's not constant fighting. It's not constant, like all of the continent is engaged in constant war. But it is a pretty common okay, we're going to start this up again. Okay, we're resting for a little bit. We're, oh, we're back. They're fighting again, kind of off and on situation. So in 635 Steel, which is another three years later, the Kunari conquer and claim the city of Antiva called Treviso. And then in 642 Steel, by this point, the Kunari have conquered a huge chunk of Thetis. They've conquered almost all of Tevinter, except for Minrathis. Minrathis is like the last Tevinter stronghold that has not fallen. They have claimed all of Ravane and Antiva, and they're moving into the Free Marches. So basically, they've conquered both the east and the western halves of Thetis. And, and of course, on the northern side of it but they're pushing into the free marches basically would give them leverage easily to get to any other point in thetis and take it over really quickly yeah um i think it's really interesting here that like we've had three blights so far in this timeline unless i'm missing the storm is after or the steel is after the um exalted age yeah the fourth blight happens in the exalted age which is five we've had four blights three of which have been utterly and completely devastating to thetis in a lot of ways the third one is kind of like oh there was a blight (laughs) kind of like the fifth blight um and then these kunari come in and i feel like they do more devastation than the darkspawn do to thetis like Honestly, if I was just your everyday Thedosian and this was happening, I'd be like, can I move? Like, is there like a (laughs) land like way across the sea? Can I move? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I think Um, I I think the Kunari are absolutely just as persistent, if not more persistent than the Darkspawn. And I think that's because they're obviously sentient and Darkspawn aren't. I mean, they're sentient, but like, can they organize? Can they plan tactically? No, I would say not. Um, but the Kunari are very intelligent, very masterful tacticians. And so that is always going to be a superior force than the Darkspawn. Right. And I think that we're kind of like not, we haven't mentioned this, but we've mentioned it a little bit. The fact that the Kunari have, I believe it's called Gatlock, is the official term for it. It's basically gunpowder. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they have that over all of Thetis, who is basically kind of still in a pre-firearm society, really gives them a huge competitive edge. I remember, do you remember the uh, show The Deadliest Warrior, where they would like mock up different like historical warriors against each other and see who would win? I'm going to let you guess whether or not I've ever even heard of that. Oh, my God. You don't remember? Uh, it was really interesting. Yeah. But they did one time where they did basically like a medieval knight versus a pirate. 
which like the medieval knight like won out against the pirate in almost every category from like military training one-on-one combat all of that and armor and other things but the pirate ended up winning the fight solely because of gunpowder right so like you can have the best thing about it and you can even have a mage who you know has all kinds of defensive magics but even mages aren't invulnerable to explosions exactly yeah and and that is part of the reason why it's so easy for them to conquer this much of thetis like we're talking about a third if not getting closer to a half of thetis that the cunari have easily walked through like they're not really hurting at this point but the tide does change a little bit by 685 steel and that's because the imperium is really trying to free itself from the grip of the cunari and they finally do break through the cunari lines in 685 so that's kind of a turning point in the war. Tevinter is able to kind of give a pushback, which if there's any nation in Thetis that would be able to fight back against the Kunari, it's really only Tevinter that I would that I would put a lot of faith in. But the wars continue. They don't stop. And they just keep going on for decades. And so it's not until 723 Storm, which is about 40 years after Tevinter breaks through those lines, that the Kunari end up being pushed out of most of the mainlands of Thetis. So their main territories now at this point, are Saharan and Ravane, but they do have very, very strong defenses on these locations. So not only do they have very strong defenses on these two specific locations, they also have a very good defensive point on these two locations because they're both very well-equipped navally. Um, and so they can they can take their little fleet out and go cruising really easily to Antiva or to Tevinter or even to some of the other, like the free marches or Ferelden. Easily they can get there and can do some major damages on the coasts. It's just really interesting. And I'm like really curious about this, like kind of where we're going to end up with the Kunari because they have a really strong foothold in this. We know that the Kunari are afraid of the Chantry at least a little bit in the in by the dragon age because they immediate after the events in Kirkwall, they immediately basically like disown the current era shock and are like, well, this was an isolated incident. We didn't, we didn't establish this. Don't call an exalted March basically. Right. And I think that we'll kind of get into the answer of why on that at least in the next episode. Yes, I would hope so. But like, I just think that's it's interesting to me that that's their mindset in the current timeline when they are such a superior military force when they first arrive here. Right. And so kind of to just jump in on that, you know, they are superior at the beginning, but now we're getting into the 720s of the Storm Age and they're not quite as superior as they were when they first came, right? They they are 
they're still strong. They still have a good, good handle on things, but they're not an overwhelming force anymore. So in 723, like I said, the wars have continued with the Kunari and they've got their strongholds in Sahara and in Ravain, and they've lost some of that territory that they claimed. But in this year, there's a really important battle that happens. And that battle is the Battle of the Nosen Sea. And it is the largest naval engagement in Thetis history to date, like up to the the modern day still. It's the largest naval battle we've ever seen. And it results in a stalemate. And so there are tons of ships on both sides that are destroyed. And so nobody really wins this battle. In fact, everyone loses because there's not a winner. And so it's just two years after this battle that the new exalted marches are officially declared. And you'll never guess. I know this is going to be a major whiplash from last week's episode, but the new exalted marches are declared by both the Imperial Chantry and the Orlesian Chantry together. These end up being three exalted marches that are kind of grouped together by Thetis historians, and they all occur throughout the Storm Age, with the final one being called in 755. Also in this year, the Tome of Koslin is stolen from the Cunari, allegedly by Orlesians. Who's in charge of guarding the Tome of Koslin? Like, why is like, is it the Arashok or is it this? Like, it's you have now had your like sacred relic stolen twice, at least allegedly twice. Um, I guess is the treaty part they have to give it back as part of the treaty? Like, what? I mean, what we'll get into here. We'll get into some of this next time. I don't know why it's been stolen so many times. I feel like the person guarding it needs to be fired or they need to learn the lesson of like, hey, maybe we don't take our ancient relics into battles and fights and things like leave it in your sanctuary. Can we not agree to that? Well, also, doesn't the Bidisala in Inquisition, doesn't she have the Tome of Coslin on her? No, I don't remember that. I don't think she has the actual one. I think she has a replica of it on her clothing. But I don't think right. she has the, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think she has the, like, real ancient one. What you say sounds right. Like, I feel like maybe after Isabella stole it a second time, they uh, basically said, hey, like, let's not take this places. Right. Um so that's kind of the history where we're going to stop with the history, but I have a few reflections and just like a couple care questions before we get into our side character for today. So the first thing I want to reflect on is that the new exalted marches are called by both the Orlesian and the Imperial chantries. This is huge. This is monumental because, I mean, I think this is easily the most significant part of the story because these two organizations who had literally just been fighting each other, who literally like were so petty that they declared a holiday when the other divine died, like huge conflicts. They decide the move is now that, okay, we we hate each other but we don't hate each other more than we hate this other person. So we're going to work together now. That's huge. I really want to know, and maybe we don't know this. I want to know who initiated first. Like, I like to think it was to venture because they're the ones who are taking the brunt of the hit the most. Like 
Orlay and Ferelden are really like kind of just because of geography are not taking as much of an occupation just because they're such further south. Um, but I want to know, like, did Orlay say like, hey, they're starting to get in there. Like, do you want to help? Do you want to like do this together? Or was it to venture being like, hey, like, this is going to be a problem for all of us. Please come and help. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't know the answer to that, but you're right that it would be a problem for everyone because Ferelden, we often forget, has a whole coast on the sea. Actually, probably more than that, at least two thirds of their country is on water because they have the whole northern part that's on the waking sea and that goes into Orlais. And so it's like everyone's vulnerable. No one no one is safe in this situation, except maybe if you live in the Korkari wilds. But the goal of the new exalted marches are for the Orlesians. Their goal is to retake Ravane and Antiva, while the goal was for the Imperials, for Tevinter, to retake Saharan and Eastern Tevinter, especially the city of Quirinus. Also, this is a side note. Important to remember because it's very confusing. The city of Quirinus has been renamed. Now it is Ventus. So it, when you see that in the comics, that's the same place. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So my last kind of thing, and I wrote my, my notes out, but I am curious, you know, why do you think the Kunari are able to so completely dominate Thetis when they first arrive? I think one is like we can, you cannot underestimate a technological advantage in this kind of situation. Like that's always going to be what sets you off. I mean, in warfares in our own histories, we see that with the advancement of chemical warfare of the machine guns. I mean, in World War One, there's talk of like over in Austria where they're sending in like cavalry against bomber planes and like. It's like you're not going to win against that because the technology and warfare is so advanced. Like, we can't underlie that. That is 100% a big reason. But I also think that we can look in our own history, especially in World War II, when we look at the Pacific um, theater. Were we able to fight the Japanese army? Yes. But you have this point of people who are so dedicated to their cause that they would rather die. It's more honorable for them to die than to surrender. And that is a very difficult enemy to fight. And I think the Kunari here are a sim similar point of like conviction. The Kunari believe or have been taught to believe that the Kune is the right way to live and it is their sacred duty to bring everyone to live that way. Mm -hmm. And that kind of conviction makes a very powerful foe. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree with that. And I think the technological advance is one of the things that I was also thinking about. I was just thinking about it a little bit differently because I was thinking about their Navy and their ships, like all of the Kunari dreadnoughts that we've seen so far in the games and in the comics, like 
they're always talked about as being better, faster, more equipped for fighting than any other ship in Thetis. And at least that we've seen so far. And almost every single country has a significant port or a portion of their coasts that are on water. The one exception is Navarra. So that's literally every country in Thetis except for Navarra. Um, and Orlais does have a smaller section on the Waking Sea, so they're less vulnerable, but they're still right south of Tevinter. So I think when we understand a huge, extremely strong Navy coupled with multiple countries that are weak to water attacks and you give them the element of surprise, I think it makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talked about this earlier. I think this is important to note that I think one of the reasons that the Kunari might kind of stop their advance a little bit and why things are getting difficult is their advantage has been on water, but the further south they push into um, Ferelden and the further south they push into Orlais, you're getting into unfamiliar territories and you're starting to get into inhabitants like, I think the Kunari would actually have a lot of trouble with the Avar, because I think the Avar would pull similar tactics like the American colonies do on the British in the Revolutionary War, where basically the Avar are refusing to fight them in like a standard warfare and are using hit and run guerrilla tactics, basically. Mm -hmm. And the Avar are going to have, suddenly you don't have a technological advantage anymore because the Avar now have a environmental advantage. Right. But also at the same time, that's the advantage of having someone like Sten as the Arashog, who's seen Ferelden, who's seen Orzammar, who's seen all kinds of things. Um, so you're right. But also at the same time, I think they still have some of those advantages even now. It'll be interesting how Inquisition kind of plays into this because... The element of surprise I don't think is going to come about, especially if Liliana is divine, because Liliana at one, she has her faults and she has this, but she is a person who gathers information. She is going to know whether it's official Chantry spies or her own spies, what's going on in Parvalin and what the mood is. That's a really good point. Um, But that's about all I have for the Cunari Wars for right now. We'll get more into it in the future. But if you don't have any other reflections or thoughts, we can get into our side character. Let's do it. Cool. So our side character for the day is a Cunari. They are a member of the Ben Hasrath. They are also an elf. And so you may have guessed we are discussing Gat, who is... um, a member of the Ben Hasserth. Like I said, he's also a friend of Iron Bull and he appears in Inquisition and Tevinter Knights. So we first meet Gat in Inquisition on the Storm Coast during Bull's companion quest. But before we get into the quest, let's go back a little bit. Um, so we know that Gat was a slave in Tevinter and that's how he lived. That's how he grew up until he met Hisrad or as we know him, the Iron Bull. Bull was leading a team of Cunari, fellow Ben Hasrath soldiers, on a mission into Venter 
During this mission, Bull killed Gat's master and anyone who could lay a claim to Gat. So when he got his freedom during this, he then joined the Kuhn and was eventually recruited into the Ben Hasreth himself. Iron Bull and Gat would later go on many missions together, and so they became really close friends during all of this. They were so close of friends that when Bull started gaining notoriety as the leader of the Chargers, a lot of the other Ben Hasreth agents suspected Bull of deserting the Kunari, but Gat always defended him. Gat, unlike what you may think from the quest with the Chargers, is not a gung-ho, I-believe-everything-that-the-Kune-says kind of person. He's actually struggled with a lot of parts of the Kune. When he first joined, he was blinded by thinking about and plotting revenge on Taventer for his enslavement and the enslavement of his family and friends. This is, in fact, how he gets his name. Gat comes from Gatlock powder, which is explosive gunpowder. Iron Bull gave him this nickname. Now, in Dragon Age Inquisition, Gat is sent as a representative to help Iron Bull cover a Kunari dreadnought that is trying to eliminate some Venatori. The choice in this quest is whether to protect the Kunari ship or to protect the Chargers, who have come under more fighting than they thought. So you can either side with the Kunari or save the Chargers. Obviously, Gat wants you to support the Kunari. And if you do sacrifice the Kunari, Gat visits you and the Iron Bull in Skyhold to officially end the Ben Hasreth reports to end the alliance with the Inquisition. On the other hand, if you side with the Kunari, you do still get the reports and Gat declares that you, the Inquisitor, are a Basilite on, which is the highest honor that a member uh, or that a person who is not a member of the Kunari can get. And then lastly, Gat also appears in Tevinter Nights. He shows up in the chapter half up front where another Kunari ship is under attack. Two characters are set on neutralizing a trap that has been devised by agents of Fen Harrell, and Gat runs into them and interrogates them for information, and then he puts them in contact with none other than Varric. Interestingly, Gat has a few comments about different party companions when you meet him. If Cole is in the party, he questions Iron Bull about why he's working with a demon, quote. If Bull or Bull replies by saying, Cole's all right. And then um, Gat also gets into an argument with Dorian, specifically about living a life of slavery versus living under the Kune. So unfortunately, we don't know much more about Gat's personal life or anything like that, but I think there's actually the possibility that Gat comes back as a companion or another NPC in Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Right. Um, I think that's 100% a possibility, too, and it's a really good point. Um, I'm also thinking about, like, I could see people realizing that, like, Gat puts them in, like, in, like, contact with Varric as like a canonization of like sacrificing the chargers but I don't think that's the case especially considering that Gat is not a like gung-ho Kunari believer I think when we understand Gat's decision and Gat's reactions to all of this especially with Bull is that 
in Gab's view, the men on the Kunari Dreadnought, that's the Kuhn, that's Gab's family, because they're the ones who rescued him from slavery. They're the ones who he served loyalty. Bull chose a different family over the Kuhn. Mm-hmm. And that is Gat's issue, not that Bull didn't conform to every single issue there. So I could see Gat as Ben Hasrith basically seeing the error of the Vitasala and wanting still to kind of get at Fen Harrell. And so he knows that the Inquisition is the best part of that. So he's like contacting the only person he knows to, which is Varric. Yeah, and I can honestly see gat's reaction to this being the same as iron bulls only in the opposite because like if you if you save the chargers like that's bull's family now forever whereas like the this the option to kill the chargers or sacrifice them like you're killing bull's family but at the same time for gat if you're sacrificing the kunari dreadnought you're potentially not not a hundred percent. We don't know how many survive, but you're killing Gat's family. So it's kind of interesting that it's the opposite, and we don't really usually talk about that at all um, because we don't have an emotional attachment to Gat. But I could see, honestly, I could see that choice having kind of the opposite effect on Gat if he did come back as a companion. Like if you choose to sacrifice the Kunari and save the Chargers, I could see that being like the moment that Gat realizes like, oh, I I need to do something different with my life versus if you side with the Kunari, he just keeps on as normal. Right. Um, Yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Um, And this kind of goes into like Gat, like, Lots of potential. Um, we've gotten some stuff of him, kind of like Mayvaris. Like we've gotten enough to like pique our interest, but we definitely want more of their story mm-hmm. to see them come through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's all I've got for this episode. So if you want to wrap it up, we can. Unless you have extra thoughts. I do not. So that's all we got. Um, thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next week. And a special shout out to our Nung King patron, Louis H., who gets a special shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time.
Hi, welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using threecountthoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.